His principle can be quite simply stated. He refuses to die while he is still alive. He seeks to remind himself by every electric shock to the intellect that he is still a man alive, walking on two legs about the world. For this reason, he fires bullets at his best friends. For this reason, he arranges ladders and collapsible chimneys to steal his own property. For this reason, he goes plodding round a whole planet to get back to his own home. And for this reason, he has been in the habit of taking the woman whom he loved with a permanent loyalty and leaving her about, so to speak, at schools, boarding houses, and places of business so that he might recover her again and again with a raid and romantic elopement. He seriously sought by a perpetual recapture of his bride to keep alive the sense of her perpetual value and the perils that should be run for her sake. Welcome to Pints with Chesterton, a podcast where two millennial women dive into the wonderful and whimsical works of Gilbert Keith Chesterton. I'm Grace. And I'm Marie. On today's episode, we are discussing book two, chapters four and five of Man Alive. These chapters are called The Wild Weddings or The Polygamy Charge and How the Great Wind Went from Beacon House. Grace, good morning. Good morning. I said I have coffee, but I actually don't. (laughs) Oh no, <laughs> I'm okay. I'm having tea this morning. Oh good, out of a teacup, <laughs> and it's delicious. I wish I had some tea. I meant to make myself coffee and I forgot. Oh no. Well, how have you been? What have you been up to? I've been good. I am tired this morning. I went to a festival last night, which is a big deal because I think it was the first festival that I've been to in like a year and a half because of COVID. That is nuts. Yeah. Oh my gosh. And stuff How is, fun. yeah, stuff is starting to, to really open around here. And, um, I know that that's not the same everywhere in the country, but here in South Louisiana, <laughs> uh, we're kind of out in the country and there was a, uh, there was a big festival that was a fundraiser for, um, children's cancer research. And, okay. It's uh, it's all over the country. It's called Hogs for the Cause. It's like a big barbecue festival. Um, oh, and fun. they had, I don't know if you've heard of Robert Randolph and the Family Band. Mm-hmm. Um, they're this kind of like jam band from New Jersey, but they're really good. And they're one of my favorites. And so I heard okay. that they were playing and I was like, oh, <laughs> we need to go to this. So um, a couple of my amazing. friends are there and it was, yeah, it was so fun to just like be with people and like dance and like just. Yeah. Did you guys eat barbecue? Oh yeah, so much barbecue. Yum. I had I had this. It was like mind-blowingly good. It was like pulled pork over like a grilled avocado with oh. like pico and like some stuff. Oh my gosh, it was amazing. Yum. Yeah. That sounds that sounds like the perfect Friday night. Yeah. And it was pretty amazing. So really nice to hear about normal events going on again. Yeah. It things are things are relaxing here as well. Um, I think we're about, I don't know, like five or six days away now from all of our statewide mandates being lifted here, which is nice. Yes. Almost everybody's been given the opportunity to get the vaccine now if Mm -hmm. they want it. Mm -hmm. So things are like moving in a different direction, which is 
So exciting. Yeah. I my favorite grocery store here doesn't require masks anymore. And um it just yesterday the cashier was like, It's so nice to see your face. <laughs> and I was like, It's it's nice to see you too. It's so weird. Like we've gotten used to only seeing people with masks. It's nice to smile at each other. It's so true. I honestly don't think if I walked back on campus at my school next year, I don't think I would recognize any of my students because <laughs> I have no idea what they oh look like. Oh my gosh. <laughs> you had them the whole year in yeah, masks. Yeah, the whole year in masks. Wow. So they probably don't know wow. what I look like either. Um, that is so funny. Yeah. <clears throat> well, um, I've been quite boring lately, um, but... This week was a really good week. Good. And so that, and no complaints. Yeah. Wonderful. Good work week. Good week with my husband. No good. complaints. Oh, so. um, and reading? I'm not reading anything new. Are you reading? <laughs> I'm not either. New? I'm just kind of trying to plod through orthodoxy and I'm, I'm realizing okay. that it's, it's a little difficult for me. Like I, I read it. I read yeah, it a lot of, yeah. well, not a lot of it. I read some of it like probably eight years ago. And mm -hmm. I was like, oh, I'm probably smarter now. I can probably <laughs> understand it. And I'm like, well, like I do understand a lot more than I did eight years yeah, ago. Yeah. But I, I was kind of like, okay, there's still some parts of this I'm going to have to work through. Like it's, oh, it's yeah. challenging. It's good though. Yeah. And it's exciting. And I love it. And it makes me laugh out loud, just like everything Chesterton does. So you, yeah, um, you can't read it mindlessly. That's for sure. Yeah. Yeah. That's so great, though. Yeah. I actually, I lied. I started reading Jane Eyre oh. a couple days ago. Okay. Um, and it is such a sad book. <laughs> I read it, I read it a long time ago. And so there have been points of the story where I vaguely remember what I'm reading. Mm -hmm. um, but I think I was a kid when I read it. Um, anyway, Jane Eyre is um, a good example of... I don't know. Everybody thinks of all of those novels of that that period as by female authors as being the same, but Jane Austen was a completely different writer than the Brontes and yeah. it's Jane Eyre is a really good example of that. Like their their styles are completely different and like the way that they express emotions in their characters are completely different. It's not like one is better than an another but mm. austin is better <laughs> um, <laughs> i i prefer austin i think i think she has a well i don't know i don't know maybe i should wait till the end and reserve as with all these books that i'm reading now <laughs> as an adult reserve my criticism until the end but <clears throat> fantastic book very sad very moving so that is did you I've say you reading. had read it before Yes. Okay. Yeah, probably in middle school or like a long time ago. I think at some point I realized I was obsessed with Britlet. <laughs> I was a an avid reader, so I read, you know, like 50 books every year when I was a kid. Oh my and gosh. I just like at some point I was like I need to read Dickens, I need to read Austen, I need to read Bronte, I need to read Byron, I need to read all of these people who are quote unquote classic um British authors and poets. And um I think I said this before about Dickens. I don't think I understood what I was reading or yeah. took in what I was reading. Um so it's been very fun to read them again as an adult. 
Gotcha. Yeah, so. I, I really need to get into Jane Austen and read some because the only one that I've ever read is Pride and Prejudice because I had to read it in a high mm. school class and I was like determined not to like it back then. So <laughs> I need to go back and read it with like an open mind. But um, you should. Yeah, I haven't. One, I wouldn't. I wouldn't suggest starting with Northanger Abbey. Yeah. For people who are listening, I. I know it's one of her shortest books, so it's a temptation to start uh, with Northanger Abbey, but it it's my least favorite of all of her books, and the story is just not as compelling. Uh, the characters are a little more... Some of the characters are a little more annoying, I think. Um, it's, it's fine. Northanger Abbey's fine, but Sense and Sensibility is great. Persuasion is great. Pride and Prejudice is great. Gotcha. Those would be... One of those would be a good place to start. Cool. All right. Shall okay. we jump into our summary? Sure. Dr. Pym brings the final charge, the charge of polygamy, upon Innocent Smith, noting that serial polygamists like him are inspired by a desire for variety. As evidence, various letters are then read, detailing the stories of the many different women to which Innocent has allegedly proposed and whisked away to be married, never to be heard from again. There was Polly Green, Miss Black, Miss Brown, and then Mary Gray. At the end of the reading of the letters, Michael Moon points out that all the women described were, in fact, quite similar, all having color names and red-brown hair, and none being described as having any sort of relations or background, except for the first. Moon, at first, puzzlingly argues that all of the women were real, live women, and yet only one of them was ever born. He then clarifies that Mary Gray is, was, and has always been Innocent Smith's one and only wife and has per- participated with him all this time in elaborate acts to rekindle their own love and to shake other people awake. So there we have it. I love them so much. <laughs> I know. So fantastic. It's so absurd, but like, <laughs> it's just so funny. Oh, man. Oh. So were you, were you first? Married people should be taking tips. Yeah. When um when you first read this, wh- had you figured it out already or did you figure out that Mary Gray I, was his wife? I don't know if I had quite figured it out. It's hard to remember, but I am pretty sure that I was not convinced of the bigamy charge because everything else was slowly being or not slowly, quickly being disproved. Unraveled. Yeah, yeah. And so I thought if he's innocent of all these other things and he he seems ridiculous and bad in all these other situations but he's actually not he's probably not done what they're accusing him of but who are these women I don't know I don't remember if I had figured it out yeah but it's it's wonderful yeah um I do love that all the ladies have been named colors (laughs) after colors yeah yeah it was it was kind of funny that like when I was reading it I didn't notice and I think he he tries to f- throw you for a loop because there's the one that like Miss Black is called Miss Blake in the letter but the person can't remember exactly what her name was yeah so the person's like oh it's it's like Miss Blake or something like that and then Moon figures it out and he's like no it's black it's close enough <laughs> yeah yeah so totally yeah I know and that would have really thrown a wrench in things because it's like wait there was there was, there was the a one. different yeah. woman of a real name <laughs> yeah yeah there are so many quotable oh my gosh so lines many. in these in these chapters. So we yeah, I actually I want to read 
uh, one of them in the very beginning of the chapter, which is sort of, I thought it was, it was really interesting because it was from Dr. Pym and he was, I think, trying to make a different point out of this quote, but I thought that it was actually profound if you take it kind of from a theological perspective. Um, so in the beginning Mm -hmm. he says, he's, I think he's trying to say that marriage is like some sort of institution that is not permanent or it's something that, um, like in terms of history, it's not permanent. Like it's something that is necessary for a time in history, but then like maybe it's, it's going to go away someday and we'll discover something better than marriage, you know, or whatever. Mm -hmm. And so he says, um, he says, marriage is a stage, doubtless a suitable stage in the long advance of mankind towards a goal, which we cannot as yet conceive, which we are not perhaps yet fitted even to desire. Um, and I thought that was really profound if you take it from like a, a Christian or a Catholic perspective that it's like, um, you know, marriage is something according to Christ that is earthly. It's not something that's going to last into heaven, but yet heaven is a mystical marriage. So it is marriage, but it's a different kind of marriage and it does, it's meant to eventually pass away into something greater. And so it's interesting that Pym is the one that kind of gives that insight, even though he means something different by it, you know? Um, Absolutely. I'm so glad that you, yeah, I'm so glad that you brought that up. It's, he doesn't mean to say something very, uh, very religious, yeah. <laughs> religious almost in what he's saying. But yeah, he's, when he talks about you know, going towards this goal, which we can't yet conceive. None of us know what heaven is like or what, you know, what that, that final union with God will be like when we go to heaven. So Mm -hmm. beautiful. I, I like that Chesterton, um, uses paradox even with him. Yeah. You know, for sure. Cause he thinks he's saying one thing and he's really saying he, he's saying something very true, but sort Mm -hmm. of the opposite of what he thinks he's saying. Yeah, right. That's awesome. Exactly. So what other quotes did you have? <laughs> well, very shortly after next next paragraph, um, Michael Moon says a couple things that are that are just they make me laugh. They're also very true. Uh, he says um, nobody's ever survived it in regards to marriage. Uh, <laughs> Look at all the people married since Adam and Eve and all as dead as mutton. And then a couple <laughs> paragraphs later, he goes, I can tell. Marriage is a duel to the death, which no man of honor should decline. <laughs> and Inglewood's like, all right, all right Michael, just just be <laughs> Calm quiet. Down. Okay. Just, <laughs> yeah. That's that's good. That's enough. But um, I love what he's trying to express here because he's he has fully grasped at this point what Innocent is about, what he's doing, how precious Innocent finds marriage to be. Right. And he's like fully on board now so he's like this is a duel to the death every man should accept it like this is a you know i it's classic michael moon passion yeah and irish like humor forever. all in one <laughs> yeah yeah <laughs> yes exactly i love that it says to um when he quote it says michael said savagely out of the gloom yeah <laughs> <laughs> I I love it. I love I love how fiercely he's defending this at this point. Yeah. Um Yeah, yeah so 
after that, it just kind of gets into the description of these letters um, about these various women and these various circumstances in which Innocent like kind of comes in out of nowhere and sweeps them off their feet. And they're all these like, like Mary Gray, like kind of unassuming, you know, like a typewriter or a student or just like someone that doesn't really have much going for them. And then, uh, and then he comes in and it's like so hilarious just all of the absurd antics that he goes through to like woo <laughs> the women you know or totally. his wife um yeah. the one that made me crack up more than anything was the um when she's a typewriter and he plays a barrel organ and like <laughs> and they like play oh back to God. each other <laughs> oh my god uh, and then he like sweeps her out like comes crashing in with his organ like sets her on top of it and like rolls her down the street <laughs> I loved that. Oh, so funny. It makes me wonder, like, the <clears throat> what is uh, what is Chesterton trying to impart to us in our, like, he's obviously aware, as we discussed with the Round Road last week, that people can't literally, like, leave their family and right. travel <laughs> around the world and then come back and just in order to appreciate them a bit better and be a better person. But, like, what does he suggest, like, with all of these romantic um, conquests of his own wife, like, what is he <laughs> trying to teach us in in reality, I guess? Mm-hmm. What were your thoughts on that? I mean, I think that it, the quote that we read at the beginning, um, where Michael Moon kind of gives his thesis about Innocent and his whole project, um, he says that he wants to keep alive the sense of her perpetual value and the perils that should be run for her sake. And I feel like you can take that concept and apply it to Mm -hmm. just everyday life. Like you don't have to do Mm -hmm. these things that are so elaborate and ridiculous, but like there probably are some, you know, small elaborate and ridiculous things that you could do (laughs) in order to remind yourself of the glory of your spouse, you know, um, or the people that are important to you in your life. Like, uh, you know, just kind of going out of your way to remind them and remind you of their value. You know, um, I think there's different gestures that aren't so extreme, um, that would make people feel known and make people feel loved. I just think about, um, I, I, we may have mentioned before, like the love languages or whatever. Mm, I find those so helpful because they're very concrete and you're able to kind of see like, okay, how does this person feel loved and appreciated and like Mm. how can I get creative in the way that I show that to them you know um so that's the thing that it kind of inspires me to do is to to think creatively about um and to not be so timid about showing love because I think I think sometimes and maybe this is just a temperamental thing I don't know but I think sometimes we can get a little bit um afraid of like what are they going to think or what are other people going to think if they see the way that I express my emotion or express my feeling towards this person. And so we kind of hold back and we like, don't say what we were going to say. We don't do what we were going to do. We just kind of say like, Oh, well just saying like, Hey, I love you is enough, but like, maybe it's not enough, you know? Um, yeah. And maybe I should just be more courageous about showing that, you know? Yeah. I love that. Yeah. I think you're, yeah, I think that you're absolutely right. He, I, yeah, and it, it's interesting in each of these situations where he's swept these women off their feet, he's gone out of his way to make an expression of love to his wife, right? Like, yeah. he, 
is making a conscious decision every day to sweep her off her feet. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. yeah, I think that what you said falls falls perfectly in line with that because if you find out that someone's love language or the way that they best receive love is is not through words, mm-hmm. it's through actions, then <clears throat> helping them with something or or going out of your way to make them breakfast or mm-hmm. going out of your way to, you know, do something for them is going to speak to them a lot more clearly. Mm-hmm. It's kind of beautiful like <laughs> clearly this way of innocent expressing his love to his wife works for them. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> like, yeah. It's how it's it's a way clearly that he wants to give love and she knows how to receive it mm-hmm. and feel loved by it. Mm-hmm. Um so it's kind of it's kind of fun to think about you know, what does that look like in your own life? How how do you want to give love and how do you want to receive it? Mm-hmm. It really, re- it reminds me a lot of when I was reading the book about Francis Chesterton and like their their actual relationship, um, that it, it seems similar that he wrote a lot of them into these characters, even though they didn't do these things that were so elaborate. They did like, Chesterton was like Innocent Smith in a lot of ways, you know, Absolutely. and Francis was like Mary Gray in a lot of ways, like very, yeah. she was more calm and cool and collected and he was kind of all over the place, but they mention in that book and in her letters and everything, like how well they felt loved by the other, you know? Yeah. Um, so it was, it was definitely a con, like you said, sort of a conscious, intentional decision um, to love each other Absolutely. the way that they needed to be loved. So. Yeah. And in Chesterton's own relationship with um with Francis, he wasn't he wasn't crazy like this, but he did often write her poems and like as apologies, as love notes, as, you know, various things. And then when she got sick, especially at the time in the United States, and they had to be separated. He was mm-hmm. in agony yeah. over being apart. And I think, so I think he had real life experience of what, what honestly, like what a good thing a separation can be when it, when it's forced upon you and it causes you to realize what a precious thing it is to be together. Mm-hmm. You know, because it's easy when you are always together to take it take uh for granted that you have the other person with you all the time so I think he had a few times where a she was seriously ill Mm -hmm. and b he didn't get to be with her for a little bit and you know he felt the pain of that and always wanted to get back to her as soon as possible right right yeah no I think that's definitely true um kind of like taking those moments of to really focus you back on what's important and all of that. Um, yeah. I'm sure everyone can relate in some way, even if you haven't gone through some crazy, you know, sickness or tragedy or whatever. Like there's probably sure. moments of like, oh, wow. Like what if I didn't have this person, you know? Mm. Um, yeah. So, yeah. Life has a way of f- foisting on you tragedy and sorrow and different experiences and um, even if you're not physically separated from your spouse, you definitely or or your friends or your family or whatever, you have days where you're like, I am so appreciative that that guy is my brother. <laughs> yeah, like that, you know, yeah. that I can call my brother and have him in this moment or that I have my husband. I have these people. So, mm-hmm. yeah, I also think that listening to other people's stories 
can help you appreciate your own, um, you know, instead, because I think we can get caught in our own heads and our own stories and, and kind of go around in circles and not be able to see the full picture. But then if we actually take time to listen to other people and not focus on ourselves for a minute and hear their stories and their struggles and the things that they go through, I think that can, in a weird way, like help us to recognize the good that we do have that maybe they don't, you know, and there's like so many different things um, like so many different points, I guess, of comparison, and it's not good to compare for the sake of comparison, but to like kind of um, recognize, I just know that like in talking to some of my other friends who have very different experiences of life and relationships and things that mm. um, I can get frustrated about certain things in my own life, but then I hear them talk and I'm like, oh, like grass is always greener, you know, like I can recognize gifts that I've been given that they haven't, mm. you know, um, mm-hmm. and yeah. So it just, it kind of helps to refocus and like going outside of your own head. Totally. Totally. Um, I thought there was this one quote, um, that Michael Moon says, uh, to Pim, Pim's trying to give him all kinds of stuff. And he says, with all politeness, I propose not to be bullied with long words instead of short reasons or consider your business a triumphant progress merely because you're always finding out that you're wrong. <laughs> and I thought that was really interesting uh, commentary on this whole progressive attitude um, that people have mm. in this sort of Pym and Warner sort of like overly scientific, like progress, 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 like always moving forward. Um, but like using all these long words and explanations to try to like explain away everything and then feeling like you're you're profound for explaining away all the things that have been accepted in the past. But to me, Michael Moon was kind of saying like, look, you're just because you're constantly proving yourself wrong doesn't mean that you're smart or something. I don't know. (laughs) Yes. And I thought that was an interesting thing to think about, you know? Yeah. Yeah, totally. He calls them out on it. And I think it's funny too, because like we have the history of Chesterton debating and whatnot. And he clearly doesn't appreciate when people are saying a whole lot of nothing that doesn't actually prove anything right yeah he wants to be like okay well the point yeah (laughs) yeah if you can say what you mean which is hilarious in regards to orthodoxy because I feel like orthodoxy which we're going to get into next um next on the podcast he kind of (laughs) doesn't say quickly what he wants to say he says what he that's true yeah um, he's kind of wants rambling. to say in a <laughs> bunch of different ways but yeah generally he, he's like this is this is not useful this is not helpful if you're saying a bunch of words but they don't really mean anything or they they just disprove each other right contradict each other yeah I um I love the line um He seeks to remind himself by every electric shock. Sorry, this is from Michael Moon. He seeks to remind himself by every electric shock to the intellect that he is still a man alive, walking on two legs about the world. Yeah. And we kind of are brought back to um, that very first chapter when man, (laughs) what what is it? Man Man with two legs found alive. Yeah. (laughs) Found alive with two legs. Um, And... It's clear, it becomes clear in these last, I mean, it's it's been shown to us over the whole book, but it's become clear in these last two chapters that um, Chesterton and Innocent find the worthiest endeavors in the world to be becoming a better man. Yeah, yeah. And 
to loving as well as you possibly can. Right. Yeah. Every day of your life. And it's worth going out of your way, you know, and sometimes doing things that are ridiculous in order to keep yourself focused on that goal, <laughs> you know. And looking ridiculous to others. Yeah, I mean, yeah, yeah. That's big. We like are looking at this whole trial and all of these stories and you know, I myself have been asking you out loud, like, what, what is, why did he make this so extreme? But I think in a way he's trying to show us that like, even in just living lives of faith, people will often look on us as if we're as crazy as he is for walking around the world. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Right. Like we may appear insane to people who don't believe what we believe Mm -hmm. but that doesn't mean that it's not true right and I think moon kind of points that out when he's talking to Pim that quote that I read earlier um he's he's sort of in this conversation about like he's accusing Pim of basically being like the people in Jesus's time who were saying like damned if you do damned if you don't like with Jesus like the son of man came eating and drinking and you called him a drunken glutton and you know all this stuff and then he when he fasted you call him crazy and whatever so it's sort of like there's nothing you can do to prove yourself to people who will not accept your view you know um and like when we are questioned by people who are determined to not be christian or to not accept christianity it's like nothing we do is going to be convincing you know, and it's like we just need yeah. to live our lives the way that we know is true and we know is beneficial um, yeah. and not be so concerned about that because y- you're never going to win the the popularity game and still yeah. be doing what you're supposed to be doing, you know. Yeah. Even within our own circles of people who probably have the same faith as us, probably oh, accept yeah. us for who we are, even then very true not everybody is always on board with all of the ideas or convictions that you have Mm -hmm. you know yeah or even just your personal your personal choices like the things that really are more personal um and can differ from person to person or couple to couple or you know whatever and it's like people try to make that into doctrine and it's not (laughs) you know yes yes and people like to people like to be comfortable and so they like to see other people doing what they're doing Mm -hmm. and that that does make them feel comfortable but it is good to keep in mind that like we're not here to just please other people we're here to live the truth and live it as best as we can um and we're not even here to please ourselves Mm -hmm. but it's just it's very it's beautiful that innocent in this book has discovered for himself the way to make himself fully alive fully appreciative of his life and like fully living his life in glory for God Mm -hmm. because in the end that's what that's what's driving this um Mm -hmm. (laughs) and you can tell like if we kind of you know glance back at that conversation with the um was it Buddhist or something I don't know if we ever know exactly what kind of he says something um, about Confucius um yeah in China for the the monk or who whomever who's tending the temple there who he Mm -hmm. talks to he's like actually kind of sad that that guy's wrong yeah yeah (laughs) because he can you know he can see that he can see the um the beautiful things about you know what that man has there but like also the emptiness in it and um there 
you know, there's always a part of us that looks at how other people are living that says that would be really nice. Yeah, that would be really nice if I didn't have to care about all the things that I care about and stand up for them. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think along the lines of the recognizing that we're not here to please other people. um, The very famous quote from Chesterton, which I love, I had it on my classroom wall, (laughs) um, is when Michael Moon is sort of explaining, he's kind of giving his whole like dissertation about who innocent is and after the quote that we read at the beginning of the episode, but he says he has broken the conventions, but he has kept the commandments. And then later he says, everything is ugly and discreditable except the facts. Everything is wrong about him, except that he has done no wrong. And I think we can often like, I don't know, see people living differently than us, even though they actually are being totally Christian um, in what they're doing like because they're different or living a life that looks very different than ours we can kind of get like you said like flustered or or uncomfortable because it's maybe challenging to us or it's just something different not something that we're used to but Chesterton is saying no like we're meant to break the conventions like the conventions sometimes are what lead us to complacency and what lead us to like not really recommitting ourselves every day to the things that are important. And we can kind of just end up like that um, preacher. What was his name? Uh, Hawkins or something. Remember when they were in the burglary chapter, Um, the older preacher who was more concerned with like polite society than he was with like being a priest, (laughs) you know? Yeah. Um, Yeah. And we can kind of fall into like a sort of rut. um, Yeah. and, And think that people who are being different than us are, being somehow unchristian or crazy or I don't know if you understand what I'm saying here totally no we've we forget that there are as many beautiful expressions of Christianity in as there are beautiful beautiful Christians to express those exactly you know it's like we we were all made differently and it's nice when we have um similarities or things in common with other people Mm -hmm. and uh, you know especially as Christians, we have God in common as our father. We have the Trinity in common, you know, mm-hmm. but our, as you said, our personal ways of expressing our Christianity, um, every, it's so beautiful how each person decides to live their life out, what they're passionate about, um, how they help others, what, what it is particularly that each person is called to. It mm-hmm. looks different. And that shouldn't necessarily make us uncomfortable. Yeah. We have certain things that everybody shares. Mm-hmm. Beautiful liturgy. Right. You know, all of those types of things. But then we also have areas of our life where, like, God gives us this creative freedom, really. Yeah. To do what best suits us, how he created us. Yeah. And in the work of the church and the work of evangelization and the work of the building up of the kingdom, like, you know, the eye can't say to the ear, I do not need you. You know, yeah. like Paul says, yes. like, it's like we need the variety in order to thrive. Um, and people's different temperaments and their different interests and the things that make them who they are is like indispensable, you know, in the building up Absolutely. of the kingdom. And like when people try to make everybody look the same or wish that everybody was the same, it's it's just ineffective, you know. Um, yeah. 
I'm just, I'm just thinking it's, it's fresh on my mind because, um, <laughs> I'm thinking about the festival that I was going to last night and mm-hmm. I was there with, with my best friend, father Brad, um, who is this like exuberant, like outgoing, you know, super extroverted sanguine personality who is like dancing like a crazy man at this festival. But then like, you know, in the next breath, like praying St. Michael prayers for people he sees there that are struggling and like, and then it's like, there's my other friend, my other best priest friend, Father Matthew, who is like very calm and chill and introverted. And he and I like go to the symphony together and like, <laughs> you know what I mean? And I like him and like both of them reach people that the other one can't, you know what I mean? And like both of them are like neither of them is doing anything that is like wrong you know what I mean like (laughs) they're like living their own personalities and they're like reaching people like through that and they're striving to be good Christians like in the midst of whatever circumstances they gravitate towards you know or that they find themselves in and I just think that's like kind of a concrete example of what I'm talking about but it's true of like all of my friends you know and all of the people that I know that are just so different but like so good you know I love that you used both examples of music for both of them. Yeah. Like (laughs) it's so it's so such what a beautiful way to say it. You know, one loves the symphony and quiet contemplation of it. And the other loves dancing and like a loud jamboree type situation. And it's you're right. It's like we don't want one without the other. We want like the the body of Christ that Mm -hmm. we make up is incomplete without all of our brothers and sisters with all of their beautiful differences and talents and all of the good things that God has provided us. Like when we think about the, uh, the fact that like the creative power of God and also just the fact that God is all goodness, all beauty, all truth. It makes sense that there would be so many expressions of that in us. Yeah, We're made in his image and it's like, there, there is a never-ending um, expression of that goodness, beauty, and truth in all of us, and so it's it's fun to see that here with Innocent. Yeah. I mean, he stands out a lot more, but like in the in throughout this whole book, he has brought out those beautiful expressions in other people. Yeah. Michael Moon has become all of the sudden a more noble character than he was before. He's found purpose in his life. Right. He has seen the beauty of love and uh, the has this like really strong defense of marriage in his heart now. Yeah. Um, Inglewood has come into his own. Everybody has blossomed around him. Mm-hmm. And that is what happens when you live like authentically as the person that you were created to be Mm -hmm. you like you bring other people to to God by being who you were meant to be yeah and it's it's so beautiful too in this book because all of those characters that you just mentioned are so very different and even when they're affected by innocent smith they don't become innocent smith you know um Michael says if innocent is happy it is because he is innocent so he's basically saying like happiness doesn't come from being a certain way but it comes from being innocent it comes from keeping the commandments it comes from living a life Mm -hmm. that is like totally alive and what that looks like an expression in different characters is going to be different different people is going to be different and he and michael moon says that he says um do not imagine please that in any such attitude 
that any such attitude, like innocence attitude, is easy to me or appeals in any particular way to my sympathies. I am an Irishman, and a certain sorrow is in my bones, bred either of the persecutions of my creed or of my creed itself. Uh, speaking singly, I feel as if a man was tied to tragedy and there was no way out of the trap of old age and doubt. But if there is a way out, then by Christ and St. Patrick, this is the way out. <laughs> and so he's like saying, look, like I am not like this guy at all. Like we are very different people. Like he's this absurd, like, you know, happy, like or when I say happy, I mean like externally happy, like, um, yeah, yeah. you know, kind of like vivacious personality. He's crazy extroverted. Like, yeah. Yeah. And, yeah. And Michael Moon is this like deep, dark brooding, like I'm going to sit at the end of a bar and like <laughs> talk about yeah. life and philosophy and whatever, you know, and it's like, but, and he doesn't change like he's still himself at the end of the book but he's himself better um like he said he now has these deeper convictions and these deeper um more meaningful beliefs and and honestly he's happier um but he's not like his happiness doesn't look like innocence happiness um mm. it, it ex it's expressed in a different way and that's good that's okay you know yeah yeah i i completely agree i think that the the lines following that are just to add on to what you said. Um, so Gold says, no, I do not believe that being perfectly good in all respects would make a man hilarious in, in response to it, that little speech that Michael just gave that you mentioned. Mm -hmm. And Michael says, well, said Michael quietly, will you tell me one thing? Which of us has ever tried it? Mm -hmm. Yeah. And it, I, I think that line is like, it's so thoughtful. Mm -hmm. It's so well placed. And it's Chesterton is saying, okay, maybe you think I'm totally crazy. Everything I've been trying to teach you in this book, mm -hmm. but have you tried it? Right. Yeah. And <laughs> have you tried living this innocence? I heard a quote and I don't remember. I don't know what book it's in. I don't know if it's in orthodoxy or somewhere else, but Chesterton has that quote that I heard years ago. I think before I'd have ever even read, read a book by Chesterton. Um, that the Christian ideal has not been tried and found wanting. It has been found difficult mm -hmm. and left untried. And yes. that's exactly yeah. the point of this. Um, I wrote yes. it in the margin when I read it. I was like, oh, that's the quote. Like, that's the, <laughs> yes, that's exactly. the origin of it. Um, but right after he says that, you kind of get the end. He, it says a silence ensued, rather like the silence of some long geological epoch, which waits the emergence of some unexpected type. For there rose at last in the stillness a massive figure that the other men had almost completely forgotten. <laughs> yeah. Okay. So. Actually, I have a question about yeah. the end of this chapter. What did you make of like wh what they are about to say about Dr. Warner? So just to recap for people who haven't read or whatever. Yeah. Um, so Dr. Warner leaves the room. He like says, well, you know, a lunatic, a lunatic shouldn't be allowed to shoot me in the back garden. And he kind of walks out. Cheerfully. Puts back on his hat. Remember the importance of the hat. Yes. <laughs> yes. Puts back on his silk hat mm -hmm. and sails out to the garden gate. And then. Pim, but the bullet really missed you by several feet. And another voice added the bullet missed him by several years. There was a long and mainly unmeaning silence. And then Moon said suddenly, we have been sitting with a ghost. Dr. Herbert, Herbert Warner died years ago. Yeah. What? I thought that was so <laughs> profound, though, because I think what he's saying is like he he's beyond like he was kind of beyond saving like innocent came into the house yeah. and he shot at Warner in an attempt to save him you know to wake him up to wake him yeah. up and he wouldn't wake up and it didn't he was completely unaffected he was completely um 
unable to see but you know in the process he wakes up everybody else around him he wakes up michael mm. moon and inglewood mm. and all the other women and, and everybody you know but um yeah but i think it's it's sort of eerie it's almost like yeah um yeah like scary it's like, like oh, a snap. dead man like, walking yeah exactly and it made me think yeah. um of one of my favorite songs by john foreman um called terminal and he's talking about how like every everyone's terminal like everyone's dying like everyone mm. <laughs> like which sounds like sad but it's like this song that's actually like kind of happy and like sunny sounding I don't know but he um he says in that song um some people die in offices one day at a time uh, they could live a hundred years but their souls already died don't let your mm. spirit die before your body does it's terminal mm. and I thought that was like Ooh, that's exactly Warner. Like he's been in his scientific little office and he's yeah. been like doing his little thing and he's just dead inside, you know? Yeah. And, um, and he's completely unmoved by this entire experience. Yeah. Like he's just sitting there the whole time. And it's like I said, it's kind of scary. Like it's kind of like, whoa, yeah. you know, it's a, I mean, it's definitely a warning. Like right. wake up. I, I find, I, yeah, I found that scene really interesting. I, felt a little shocked and then not so shocked to think that like the purpose of innocent coming to this house was for that man right like right. yes it was also it was twofold he's also pursuing his wife he's also becoming a better person he's also sweeping all of these wonderful people off their feet and mm -hmm. like making them more alive but like it's clear with that line that like his intention in coming to this house like such a crazy man mm -hmm. was to save Warner and you know sometimes it's been very effective and it's worked as we saw with the um what is it the wart not the warden at the college the professor at the college and sometimes it doesn't and it doesn't work here it is it's very haunting yeah to see him cheerfully glide out of the room and mm -hmm. then they're like he's like he's missed it like yeah like he's lost you know um the the little closing chapter um right after this is just a few pages so we figured we'd just cover it here um I think it's cool that it sort of ends from Mary's perspective um from mm -hmm. his wife's perspective yes. and and she kind of is talking about her experience with him as a husband um and again, it just, it reeked of Francis. <laughs> like it just was yeah. like, this is yeah. so her like, and, um, yeah, I, I love the part where she's like, he calls me man alive and you must write it in all one word or he's quite flustered. <laughs> <laughs> and then, I uh, loved that. and then Diana starts to say, um, but if men want things like that, and then Mary says, oh, what's the good of talking about men? Why one might as well be a lady novelist or some horrid thing. There aren't any men. There are no such people. There's a man and whoever he is, he's quite different. And that's kind of what we were saying before, too, is that we tend to generalize so much, you know, and there's certain totally. things that that can apply to all people or to like all men or to all women or whatever. But like, yeah, there's very few like there's there's so much variety in the people that God has created. And by generalizing, we lose the mystery and the glory of each individual that he you know, is wanting to express himself through. Um, and she sees that and she recognizes that her husband is super quirky and super ridiculous and that no other man needs to be like him. 
you know yeah Um, and no other man is right exactly yeah yeah and so the whole point of their antics is not to say hey all you people you should be exactly like us in every way you know yeah um but to say like we're trying to teach you a lesson here and you can apply this lesson even in the midst of your own personal life and existence and whatever this wisdom about marriage is so so good Mm -hmm. she Because Diana is starting to get freaked out Mm -hmm. because she's anticipating getting married now, Mm -hmm. right? And she's like, well, what am I getting myself into with quote unquote men, as you say, Mm -hmm. in that general way? And she's like, no, no, no. Your guy is different than my guy is different from the next guy, Mm -hmm. Um, which is is great. But I also love, um, I love a couple paragraphs later, she says, there are only, uh, this is Mary again, there's only two things generally true of them. At certain curious times, they're just fitted to take care of us, Mm -hmm. and they're never fit to take care of themselves. That's so Chesterton. (laughs) It is. And he's, and he's, uh, he's totally recognizing the role that his wife plays in their own marriage. She cares for him. Right. Like, he could not function without her, Mm -hmm. Um, which I think was a blessing from God that he went first because... Yeah, I think he would have completely fallen apart. Um, totally, she but, she practically did though. <laughs> yeah, um, she yeah she did. Right after that, um, she gives great advice. Don't you listen to the lady novelists? You go down the king's highway for God's truth. It's God's. Yes, my dear Michael will often be extremely untidy. Arthur Inglewood will be worse. He'll be tidy. But what else are all the trees and clouds for you, you silly kittens? <laughs> or f- the trees and clouds for you, silly kittens? So he she's basically saying like look all of these novels about love and about whatever I mean for us it's like tv shows and movies and whatever it's like don't listen to them like they're not real you know it's like there's there's something so much better and and more profound about every individual relationship and every individual man or woman you know that come together and it's like quit comparing yourself to these people you know like don't don't expect your relationship to be like anybody else's you know and obviously there's there's principles of true love but it's like you know again like break the conventions keep the commandments you know the commandments are really very simple (laughs) after that there's so much variety you know yeah oh man it's such a good book grace Mm -hmm. It really is. I love this too, this advice. Stick to the man who looks out of the window and tries to understand the world. Keep clear of the man who looks in at the window and tries to understand you. Um, she said, the kind that look outwards and get interested in the world. Like, it doesn't matter whether it's arguing or bicycling or breaking down the ends of the earth as poor old innocent does. Like, you know, that it's pe- couples who sort of end up imploding are kind of obsessive about each other, but couples who are turned out to the world are able to more relish like the mystery of the other person paradoxically, you know, you think if I'm really going to love and understand this person, I should just be concentrated on them all the time and trying to figure them out. But instead he, he, they have learned to delight in each other and like look out to the world and they're concerned about other people. They're concerned about other people's souls. They're concerned about, you know, all these other things. Um, and they have different hobbies and different activities and they don't have to have all of those things in common. And yet, um, that actually brings them closer together than yeah. just kind of only being concerned about the other, you know, being infatuated with the other. Yeah. Uh, I'd just like to read the last paragraph Yeah, go for uh-huh. it. of this chapter of this book. 
He was evident enough to have been seen from three countries, but when the wind died down and the party at the top of their evening's merriment looked again for Mary and for him, they were not to be found. The end. Love it. He really... I, I thought that there was a lot of imagery um, in this book, too, of Christ, of innocent as Christ. And his name is is innocent, you know what I mean? Which is obviously saying something about his person. Um, and her name is Mary, which is really interesting, you know. Yeah. And there's this sort of um, mystical, I think, connection to Christ um, mm-hmm. and to Mary that there's this sort of like archetypal, I don't know, like, yeah, you you think of Jesus, you don't think of somebody like innocent Smith, but yet at the same time, I think the principles are similar, you know, somebody who's willing to go through all kinds of craziness in order to save the people that he loves, you know, in order to save the woman, the bride, the church that he loves. Um, yeah, that's a beautiful connection. Yeah. So just kind of thinking of it in that, in that mystical way. And I think at the end when they disappear, it just makes me think of that. I don't know. Yeah. Go beyond. I also do just love like him figuring out that he is acquitted. <laughs> yeah. It talks about yes. like uh, the golden gates were burst open and the enormous Smith who sat like a clumsy statue for as many hours came flying and turning cartwheels down the lawn and shouting acquitted, acquitted. <laughs> 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 just like a child. Oh, and it's so great. I love it. Mm. Oh, man. What a great adventure going through this book has been. Yes. Yes. I just love it. Every time I read it more and more. <laughs> Me too. I, I, this is a book I'll return to all my life. Yeah. Every few years I'll read it again. Mm-hmm. <sighs> Beautiful. <sighs> it has been fun kind of breaking it down a little bit by bit though. I hope it's been helpful to everyone out there. Um, yeah. Do you think that, is there anything like in general that we haven't already talked about that you think is a good like practical takeaway or mm. have we already talked I think about we've, it all? I think we've kind of said everything that I would say. I would say my my final takeaway is just don't be like Dr. Warner, mm-hmm. a dead man on two feet walking. Be mm. a man found on two legs alive, <laughs> you know? Yeah, yeah. By, be that man alive. Um, live your life fully. Don't worry so much about what other people think. Mm-hmm. Um, be who God created you to be um, and and love other people well. Yeah. Those are my final takeaways, I think. Yeah, I'll second that. Okay. Well, gratitude. Gratitude. Um, we got approved for our house loan. Yay. So we've got a mortgage. Now. <laughs> um, yay. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. No, it's yay. No, Good. everything has gone super smoothly with our house. So yeah, I'm super grateful for that. We're really getting excited. That's awesome. Um, so yeah. What about so you? Good. I'm just so grateful for Louisiana. <laughs> I'm just, it's like, yeah, I, was, I, I mentioned the festival and Louisiana is like the festival state. There's all so many festivals. Like seems like every weekend of the year, there's a festival somewhere in Louisiana about something. But, um, it, it's been really sad, like over the course of COVID, um, to not have that. And I felt yeah. I, I've sort of gone through over the last year, a lot of like inner turmoil. I know everyone has, um, for different reasons, but just like 
wondering if I should leave, wondering if I should move away, you know, wondering if I should go to grad school or seek a job somewhere else or, um, you know, and I think a lot of it, I kind of had a voice in the back of my head being like, yeah, but like you, you love what Louisiana is normally, but like, this isn't normal, you know? (laughs) And, um, and then out of nowhere came this, um, came this job offer that I wasn't expecting. And it was in the same city that I already lived in. And I really wasn't expecting that. And it just seemed so right. And whenever I, whenever I officially said yes, it was like everything around me started to remind me of how much I love living here, you know? And it was like the music that I would hear and the people that I would see and like things starting to open back up again. And it was like all, it was like the springtime of like, of Louisiana. (laughs) Like everything was like, like, wait, stay here. You're meant to be here, you know? And, um, beautiful. I, I'm just really grateful for that because I really was, um, back at the beginning of this year in January, February, I really was thinking about leaving. Um, and so I'm just grateful that I was kept here. (laughs) So, Yes. That's awesome. Yeah. And I'm excited for your new job. I'm excited for to hear about how it goes. Yeah. Me too. I'm excited to hear about Wisconsin. (laughs) I know. I know. It's going to be quite an adventure. We'll, uh, by the time we get there, we'll be pretty much having the baby. So we'll, we'll share a baby photo with everybody at that time. But yeah, it's going to be, we're both heading on some pretty exciting new adventures over these next few months. Yes, for sure. God is good. Amen. Well, um, next up at some point, we're going to be trying to (laughs) get some episodes out. Thank you for saying it that way. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Trying to get some episodes out about orthodoxy. Um, So if you're listening out there and you're keeping up with us sorry about our sporadic posting but um hopefully we'll be able to get some chapters up so if you want to get orthodoxy and start reading through that we're going to be trying to do that next um so yeah and I'm 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 kind of excited to do something that is a little bit I mean Chesterton is always intellectual even in his fiction but I I'm excited to kind of wrestle with some things you know yes Um, this is definitely much more of a scholarly work and right I think that if you've struggled with orthodoxy before like come struggle through it with us yes definitely and we'll we'll find some we'll find the meaning um it's it's hard to get through on your own I think it's really beneficial Mm -hmm. to to do this book to read this work um with friends Mm -hmm. so and Mm -hmm. so we'd love to have you along for yeah. that, for those discussions, and um, I, Grace and I are going to be lear- learning alongside of you. Even though we've, I've read it a couple times, I still feel like I am going to be learning so much, and um, I'm looking forward to it. I'm really looking forward to this book. Yeah, me too. And I honestly, this is the whole point of this podcast: is to try to help people understand Chesterton, because we think that he's worth wrestling with and worth Mm. understanding and so we neither of us we've said before we'll say again neither of us are scholars (laughs) we don't we're not experts experts. we don't you know know all the things and so that's why we want to do this because we feel like sometimes it's easier for regular people to teach regular people you know um about things and so yeah it really is a a sort of joint effort here trying to understand him and um hopefully with y'all and we welcome um people's thoughts and I think with orthodoxy, maybe even more so, we can uh, see what people are, are getting from it and thinking about it if we maybe miss something or um, yeah. 
don't cover something well, but we're going to try our best. Yes, so we are. until then, um, you guys can find us online, Instagram at Pints with Chesterton, website pintswithchesterton.com, email pintswithchesterton at gmail.com. And may you all enjoy lives of wit and whimsy. Cheers. Cheers.